0: welcome back into the program thanks for hanging out with us today as always it is a wednesday for the middle of the week and great to have you along for the ride really happy to have this guy back on the program for the first time for 2023 it's been too long since we've chatted with him from the great third congressional district down in the state of oklahoma it's congressman frank lucas with us here congressman how are you my friend
1: Uh, as good as anyone can be expected to be when you're working in the nation's capital. And, yes, it has been too long since we've had a conversation, and there's all manner of stuff going on here, from how we organized up for the new session of Congress, the new balances between the two groups on ratios and majorities, the farm bill and appropriations and debt ceilings and it's just all kinds of stuff going
0: on yeah you guys started off with a bang this year for sure i want to start off with the debt ceiling because uh the speaker of the house kevin mccarthy set to meet with the biden administration today to talk about the potential spending cuts versus raising the debt ceiling the biden administration says it's a non-starter conversation to even talk about spending cuts when we've run out of money the third week of the month of january we still have nine months to go for our budget for this year is there any opportunity that Republicans, that you guys can stand firm, that we can hold our ground, and even if it comes to a potential government shutdown, that we actually stop this madness of just raising the debt ceiling and spending massive amounts of cash?
1: Well, the situation's so bad that something has to happen. And the first step, of course, is Speaker McCarthy going down and looking up President Biden in the eye and making it quite clear that we cannot just continue to spend the way we spent money when Pelosi was Speaker of the House in the last four years. We just can't continue to do that. I don't know that I have a great deal of expectations of what have come out of this meeting, but at least the Speaker and the Republican majority of House have compelled, I won't say force, compelled President Biden to acknowledge that we've got to talk about this ultimately what happens is we have to change the trajectory of spending. We cannot continue to operate like this. I don't know what what the ultimate terms or agreement will be. I don't know how many days or weeks or months it'll take to get there, but this is a battle worth having. Yeah. Now, one other thing to remember, the Democrats will say, "Well, you're limiting our ability to spend money in the future." The debt ceiling is not so much about future spending. It's about covering all the hot checks that have been written in the past. All the money that was spent in the past now has come due, so to speak, to cover. We can't let the government default because if – and it it is protecting Social Security, yes. And it's protecting Medicare, yes. Those programs that matter to our older citizens – and our citizens who, who, who are at that stage in life where they can't change their lifestyle, they can't change their plans. But it's also making sure we continue to fund defense. It's continue to make sure we continue to fund the Department of Ag programs. But where we are right now is unsustainable. And the fact that President Biden says that we just have to keep this party going, <laughs> this wild spending party going, is impossible. So yeah, go is, get them, Kevin.
0: Go get them. That's what let's I mean.
1: make a difference. Because that's where the future is—is is what we can get done with these people.
0: Well, the problem is, is that we right now we're spending at 100 percent of the GDP. So we could take every penny from every man, woman, and child in the private sector just to barely pay off our debts in the nation right now. Just what? 20 years ago, we just saw that we capped it. We weren't allowed to spend more than 40 percent of the GDP. Now we're at 100 percent. If we raise it up even more, we're sitting. We're going to be sitting at near 130, 140 percent of our GDP the in the private time sector. That's we devastating. Went Last time we
1: went through these kind of gyrations, uh, Speaker Boehner was able to negotiate an agreement on capping spending for a 10-year period. That's now expired. We have to get back into some kind of an agreement on limiting overall spending in order to change the trajectory. Uh, I've been here long enough that in the late 1990s and right up until the day the, the, the terrorist attacked New York's attacked the nation's capital and New York City and brought that plane down in Pennsylvania. We were in the third, three and a half years of balanced budget at that point. Thank goodness we had a Republican House and the Senate, a balanced budget. We can get there again. You can't just go in and cut out the 29% that we're spending over because what that would cause would be a rumble through the economy and through the financial services and with people that's not sustainable. You've got to change the trajectory. You've got to enable people by not increasing their taxes, I'd say reducing their taxes, and restraining regulations or reducing regulations. You've got to let the economy grow. Not spend the money and work your way back into balance. We did that for three and a half years. Apparently, Joe doesn't remember that he was in the Senate when that happened, but that's how you get back there. You can't shock the system. You can't repudiate your obligations, but we can't keep going the way we are right now.
0: No, we can't. Well, it's okay. He doesn't remember his name half the time anyways either, so I guess we have that going for us <laughs> at the same time. Let's shift gears slightly to food and agriculture. Obviously, you guys are working on the farm bill, which I want to talk about in a second, but the economy obviously still having a devastating effect on food right now. We're seeing eggs at three, four times higher than what the, I've ever seen yeah. them be. The inflation just yeah. hitting the, uh, the food market as a whole. Are we going to get better? Do you see some relief in the food market, meat prices, that sort of thing coming up here throughout the year?
1: you got two problems that have been going on for the last two and a half years. One was, and I hesitate to even use the word that starts with C, that we had the disruptions in the food processing chains during the COVID mess, when literally you had packing plants shut down for brief periods of time, both beef and pork and, and poultry, that distorted the supply chain flows. Throw on top of that things like the war in Europe where Putin has invaded his neighbors in Ukraine that's driven fertilizer prices and diesel prices berserk and increased the cost of every fundamental chemical input of seed. So you've got dramatically higher prices for producers. You've got a dramatically less stable supply chain for both raw materials and processing and it's put us in this loop. This is a a part of why we have to pass a 23 farm bill with a functioning safety net that can meet the challenges of right now so that we can get back to whatever the new normal is going to be and prices will stabilize And Oh, by the way, the inflation that's killing people on the farm and at home and in business – what is inflation? I don't care what the White House says. Inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. That's the fundamental definition of inflation, pushing it up. The goods and services will increase as we provide stability and certainty in the economy. We'll have more work done. We'll produce more widgets. We'll produce more pounds of hamburger, more pounds of pork chops, more pounds of, of, of chicken. But Getting a grip on the spending so you slow down that monetary supply is the other part of bringing it back into balance. I don't care what my liberal colleagues up here say. You can't repeal the laws of supply and demand. You can't can't make people do things that are not in their best interest, and that's why we're in the situation we are now. Too much money, not enough goods and services, and people trying to protect themselves from this uncertainty.
0: Yeah, that is very true. I know that last year we had heard news that you guys were a little bit behind on some of the Farm Bill conversations, but now that it's coming yeah. up for this year, are we getting ourselves caught back up? And what could we see coming out of this Farm Bill? What thing, what, what drives me nuts is that we always see so much of it going into the Farm Bill, discussing more on the social programs, the SNAP program, that sort of stuff, as opposed to the things that we really need to focus on, which is for the agriculture industry and farmers across the nation.
1: Absolutely. He had four years of Democratic majority in the House, so the focus of the committee was on, I would say simply, they wanted to talk about who could farm and how they should be allowed to farm. That's That's not how you produce food and fiber. If you're worried about picking who gets to farm and you're concerned about making sure they farm the way the government wants them to farm, that's not productive. That's not in the best interest. That's just that's just not so. With a change in control, we went through some uh, some gyrations in the Republican leadership, picking our speaker. Get sure. back to supple a couple of months, but under Chairman G T Thompson of Pennsylvania on the Ag Committee, and I'm on the Ag Committee this again this cycle after a little bit of a leave. Uh, we're back at we're back and moving forward. We're running a couple of months behind. The ideal goal would be as G T is expressed in my presence and many public meetings is spend the first half of the year doing the hearings to see what worked, what didn't work in the old farm bill, to figure out how these new input costs and these new processing issues are affecting production agriculture, real farmers and ranchers out there in the field, then go into the third quarter, probably July, and try and pass a draft bill. Then in September, if the Senate's done their work, sit down and come up with a conference report working out the differences to have something on the table by the first day of October before the old farm bill programs start to unwind. And they don't all quit the same day. Many farm bill programs reflect the crop cycle. So depending on whether it's corn or wheat or rice or whatever, the program runs with the crop cycle. So it won't all stop on October 1. Now, that said, we've got to get through the debt ceiling issues. Yeah. We've got to make the first pass across the floor with the 12 appropriation bills, the actual bills that fund the various things in the government. Uh, We've got to get all that done so we can then focus in the worst-case scenario. And I want to do a new farm bill this year because things have changed enough. We need to make adjustments. The world's not the way it was in 2018. But if we can't get there, then we may have to have a short-term or an intermediate extension. I've been around here long enough, and I've fought through enough farm bills that sometimes we've extended a year at a time because, honestly, it's too important. The farm bill is just too important, not to just producers but all consumers. Yeah. You've got to get it right. A bad farm bill is worse than no farm bill, <laughs> and an extension, if that helps us get to a better farm bill, is where we have to go, but I just don't know that yet timing-wise.
0: Sure. Well, it's it's going to be interesting. I know that the big holdup that's in D.C. as well, where I I don't think people in the agricultural industry quite get is the crop insurance and the field insurance for individuals during bad weather that destroys a lot of crops across the country. I mean, I know that's a major part of the farm bill that you guys want to focus on, isn't it?
1: Crop insurance is probably the single there, – there's two versions of that. It's One is you take out insurance products to protect you from weather. You can't control what Mother Nature does. But by the same token, there's also price protection insurance that helps protect you from wild swings in world prices because you, we, no farmer can control whether Putin's going to invade his neighbors or not in Ukraine. No farmer can control when the Chinese want to threaten their neighbors in the Pacific. But these 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 insurance policies, and since 14, the basis of, of the farm safety net on the commodity side has been insurance. You don't have to participate in the programs if you don't want. Unlike the old supply control stuff from 1933 to 1996, if you didn't participate in the program, you couldn't sell your product, you don't have to participate. But if you want to participate, you can pick the products that work best for you, and there's more than one set of products. And whether it's price or weather, buy the coverage that you need. A lot of times I point out to folks quite simply who have not been in farming, it comes down to what does your landlord and your banker think that you need because you got to take care of those two people. I always tell folks, crop insurance only matters to your landlord, your banker, and your father-in-law if you're young enough. Otherwise, nobody cares. But last track I had, especially the younger farmers and ranchers, or the one starting out, you've got to have those three people with you, yeah. or you're not there. So, yes, we've got to get the safety net right. Crop insurance will, and price protection will still be there. It's just at what, what level will the reference prices be, what will the value of the protection be, and until we have money numbers, work through the budget issues, the debt ceiling issues, we don't have those numbers yet, so I can't offer any predictions about where we'll be, but everything costs more. Every input costs more, and everybody on the farm knows that, so you've got to adjust up from what we did in 2018.
0: Sure. Amen to that. We're talking with Congressman Frank Lucas from the 3rd District of Oklahoma. we got a few minutes left with you here, and I really appreciate all your time. Uh, you mentioned that you're on the board for the for the Ag Committee, which is amazing, but you're also now chair of the Science, Space, and Technology Committee, which I am so glad that we are able to talk with you about this one as well, because I, I find that fascinating. What kind of priorities do you want to see for this next couple of years, and what do you think is going to come out of this committee this year?
1: As well, I was always tell my new members who join the committee, it's the fun committee. On agriculture... We don't have any choice. We have to get it right, (laughs) because if we don't get it right, people go hungry. Uh, On financial services, my third committee, yeah, you can argue about what interest rates should be, and you can argue about who should be the bankers, and this, that, and the other. But the science committee is the fun committee. It's it's space, Uh, NASA, back to the moon and on to Mars, stay ahead of the Communist Party in China. Uh, it's the committee with jurisdiction over all the research dollars, National Science Foundation. Hmm. But there's a one particular of the many entities we have jurisdiction over that are important to us is the uh, NOAA, the Weather Service. Sure. People outside of maybe production agriculture or those who are involved in the energy industry don't truly appreciate just how important weather forecasting is, whether it's uh, telling you a tornado's coming in 30 yeah. minutes, Or a hurricane, if you're on the coast, is going to be here in a day or two? Or uh, just uh, will it be dry next year or the summer after? One of the things I point out to the the non-country colleagues I serve with, weather is the single most important thing for a farmer trying to raise a crop or a rancher trying to raise his livestock. Why else do you think we've been buying farmer's almanacs since the 1700s? (laughs) Yeah, those were kind of guesstimates, but the point is, Farmers have cared about weather since long before the founding of the country. So this is the, com- the committee with jurisdiction over better, more efficient weather forecasting, and we're going to work really hard on that in this coming session.
0: Good. That is amazing. I also love, like you mentioned, talking about space and technology, staying ahead of the Communists, staying ahead of China and Russia with some of the space race that's going on uh... any conversations right now which i was very upset a few years ago when they kind of moved nasa away from the government more into the private and kind of its own entity i love us integrating both the private and the public sector oh, with absolutely. this because there, it's the new frontier that's the most important thing i think are we working is, with... yeah go ahead
1: we are working with both public and private there's so much work out there to be done nasa is still going to build the big rockets sure. nasa is still going to do the super hard things like sending people back to the moon. We're gonna and establishing a permanent base and putting an orbiting gateway, an orbiting space station around the moon to work in and out of. We're NASA's going to do the the really complicated stuff of getting back to Mars and getting down on the surface. Will some of the private companies build landers and part of the equipment and part of the capsules? Absolutely. Because NASA has always been an entity that's that contracted out the, the pieces for construction, uh, whether it was Apollo or Mercury, the Saturn rockets, uh, the, those kind of things. So it's a public-private relationship. I would suggest, and some of the folks I serve up here believe that it shall be, all be private. And no, the East India Company and the Bombay Company, the old British Empire Enterprises, This is this is something where we need a public stake in the off-world. And If we are successful with the developing of fusion power, that's not fission power, the old traditional nuclear power plants, but using the mechanics of the sun and water to create uh, electricity. When we perfect that and miniaturize that, then you will see, maybe not in my lifetime, but in my grandchildren's lifetime, we will truly uh, be a society that will live off-world. And by the way, America not only needs to be there, but we have to be there with our allies. You cannot let a totalitarian society, for instance, like China, control the off world. And heaven forbid if Putin, the dictator in Russia, so-called president, if he had his controls on the off hands on the off world, you just can't let that happen. So it's It, it is our it is our destiny, but it is also our responsibility to take our way of life and our views. However far we go as 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 a human race,
0: yeah, amen to that. Well, the nice thing is, right now, at least from what we've heard, is that we're still, even though we have this war going on with Putin, the silent war, and with Putin doing what he's doing, we're still, we still have a bit of a humanitarian communication and relationship with the International Space Station, which is good to hear. Uh, Real quickly, yeah, a time frame on when we could actually start seeing ourselves go to Mars. Is that coming up soon?
1: Well, we're uh, next year. We will be going back to the moon and orbiting once again testing our equipment i would believe personally i personally believe by 25 that it should be possible to land on the moon then from there back to mar on to mars we have to do things there's a there's a common there's a term some of my friends and i use on the science committee about mars 2033 i know that seems like a long time out but the stuff you have to do the the complicated nature of supporting human beings off-world and in outer space is such that it's just going to take a little time. But also remember, in a practical sense, it will cause engineering and it will cause uh, it will cause science to push so hard in new areas that we will have things discovered and created. Or the Mars program that we can't even imagine now, just as who would have guessed when the Mercury rockets went off in 1961 that led ultimately to Apollo landing in 1969, who would have guessed all the technologies that would come out of there, from computer processing on down and communications, who just could have guessed even, yeah. we're on that kind of a quantum leap forward by doing the hard things to get back to back to the moon and on to Mars.
0: I love it. That's It's going to be one of my favorite committees to follow and watch you guys up there. Last question for you yes. before we let you go. It's Congressman Frank Lucas from the 3rd District of Oklahoma. And this is the important question as well, being part of the Science, Space and Technology Committees, is after the Omnibus Bill was passed in December, which was a ridiculous, absurd bill, but there was one yes. interesting piece in it that some of the uh, more underground agencies would have to start relaying information based on ETs and UFOs. Are you going to be relevant in understanding? and get some of that information being part of this committee, and will we get some information on ETs and UFOs?
1: Let's just put it this way. The Science Committee participates in some of the classified briefings. We're not prime core like intelligence or homeland security or, or the, the, the armed services, but I will just tell you that the briefings I've been to are fascinating. Nothing to stay awake about at night. Mm. But fascinating,
0: fascinating. All right. Well, hopefully we can get some more. We'll we'll get some more information from that one as it goes along. As I
1: can, we will.
0: I love it. I love it. We're going to hold you to that one. As Congressman Frank Lucas from the Third District of Oklahoma, Congressman, always great stuff. I appreciate everything you're doing up there. You guys are hitting the ground running this year, and we look forward to chatting again real soon, my friend.
1: Talk to you then.